imposing grandeur, the quality or state of being impressive or awesome. purpose of studying theology or reading books, it's, it's not to gain our own intellect, but rather it is to bring us to Him. Because when you see how holy and how majestic our Creator is, the more you worship Him. He is our imposing grandeur. Welcome, welcome to our corner of the podcast world. You chose the right place to be because unlike the other corners of the podcast world, this corner is having a party. <laughs> so <laughs> a party. <laughs> so pause the episode, put on your party shirt and party hat, maybe buy a cake and eat it throughout the episode. Do whatever you need to do to participate. Why you may ask, but because today we are celebrating the milestone of wrapping up our Fruits of the Spirit series. Yes, love the sound effects. Thank you. And let me tell you guys, those of you listening, and I'm sure Annie and Avery would concur, it has been a time. Like a time. I went back and saw that we first aired our episode Love, the first Fruits of the Spirit episode in January of 2021. It has been over a year, which isn't to be like, wow, y'all really took a long time to get through those attributes, which we did. But this past year has been an absolute whirlwind. And we had to pause our production of this podcast in order to better be stewards of the seasons of life that God has called us to. And I mean, we could take forever to even talk about that, but to just give a few examples, within that time span, I toiled through and graduated grad school and went to Africa. Annie's family moved across states and had a baby. Twice, Avery had walked through the grief of miscarriage, and then the Lord blessed them with the adopting of twins while simultaneously being pregnant, and there's just all the amazing, beautiful preparation that happens in regards to that. So all that to say, when we're quiet on here, just know that we aren't coming from the disposition of, and eh, just not feeling like it. No, we are busy <laughs> boss babes trying to honor the Lord with our time and energy that he has given to us for each season. And although there has been a lot of joy this past year, there's also been some very dark alleys in all of our lives. But you know what? That's the beauty of sanctification. And the truth is, we are not the same people we were when we first began this series. God continues to grow us through all our struggles, heartbreaks, highs, and lows. And we want to thank you all for your patience and understanding. We love and appreciate you guys. So yes, it is a celebration. It's a celebration of wrapping up the series, a celebration of being able to get this far, and a celebration of what's to come, which is a surprise. Um, <laughs> but now that we're all eating large quantities of celebration cake, let's talk about self-control. Because it's funny, I laugh, like like self-control and cake. Like I did that segue on purpose because when I think of self-control, and I'm sure others listening may concur, I always think of it in regard to food. The diet culture seems to have adopted this term, and so now self-control means you must quote, eat the proper portion of size or not go back for the second dessert helpings. Um, and I wanted to ask you, ladies, just to dive right into it, is this similar to what we find in scripture? What exactly is self-control? What would y'all say? Great question, Alexa. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> so when I looked up the actual like Greek definition in Blue Letter Bible, it said the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, 
Um, Strong's Concordance also says that it's typically used within the context of sex or alcohol. Mm. Um, um, Surprisingly, actually, the Oxford Dictionary was, for once, almost identical to the Blue Letter Bible definition of self-control. So. Yeah, I've heard that I've heard it be compared to chastity, like abstaining from sexual um, involvement. Avery, what about you? So I found um, like an alternate word for self-control to be temperance or self-discipline. It means personal restraint, moderation, the ability to say no to our personal sins, lusts and desires. So basically what we had said. Um, But then the Got Questions ministry had a a good tie to a scripture in 2 Peter 1.6. And said self-control naturally leads to perseverance as we value the long-term good instead of the instant gratification of the world. Self-control is a gift that frees us. It frees us to enjoy the benefits of a healthy body. It frees us to rest in the security of good stewardship. It frees us us from a guilty conscience. Self-control restricts the indulgence of our foolish desires, and we find the liberty to love and live as we were meant to which I thought was a really good perspective, like of bringing the world's definition of self-control and then the godly biblical definition together. Um, Cause it really is like, it's a freeing thing to be able to be exhibiting self-control. Right. I also saw a quote by Philip Towner, which is um, it's a book called letters to Timothy and Titus. He said, Christian self-control is multifaceted and involves both control over one's behavior and impulses and emotions behind it. It includes our minds and our emotions, not just our outward actions, but our internal state, which I thought was really interesting. That is really interesting. I um speaking of chastity and like being sort of in the world, but not of the world. I think there's a lot of that revolving around self-control. William Barclay, Scottish author, he regards self-control as, quote, that great quality which comes to a man when Christ is in his heart, the quality which makes him able to live and to walk in the world and yet to keep his garments unspotted from the world. Um, So like you were saying, it's like this self-mastery, this curbing of the fleshly impulses that were described in... um, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, you know, Paul talks about sexual immorality, idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, anger, selfishness, etc. Self-control in light of that is impossible to attain apart from the power of God's spirit, which we've been saying throughout this whole series. Um, because in, even in Galatians 5, 16, that's restated. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And I think that's a, that's a, um, that goes with self-control. You know, self-control is that curbing of the fleshly desires. It's a self-mastery. And when you walk by the spirit, you're not going to easily give into those because you are self-controlled, if that makes sense. So that's kind of like how I've thought about it. It's like being in the world, but not of the world. You're, you're still in the world, but you're, as um, William Barclay would say, keeping your garments unspotted from the world because mm-hmm. you are self-controlled. And, mm-hmm. and I think we saw that in Jesus. For Jesus to live in a sinful world that did not make himself sinful, right? Because he was yeah. in the world, but he was not of the world. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And it, it, it made me think of the fact that like, there's so many things that self-control applies to, like not only what you were alluding to Alexa, but also like physical self-control of like not eating, you know, mm-hmm. not indulging ourselves constantly or laziness or, um, 
I mean, you name it, like self-control goes across so many planes because it is physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, Um, which you could say that about, you know, other fruits of the spirit as well. But I feel like self-control is much more physical fruit of the spirit as well. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So going off of talking about, you know, I mentioned Jesus Christ himself was in the world, but he was not of the world. Um, I'm curious, what do you guys have any specific examples of how Christ exhibited self-control? What can we point to in scripture where he has this attribute? So I found a Mac Daddy quote by Desiring God that like summed Mac it up Daddy. really well. Yeah. And um so is that a little... like a, an expression or is that a person? I don't know. I, I'm thinking I'm of like Matt like... Powell or Matt Papa. I was like John MacArthur. No. <laughs> yeah. J Mac. I should I meant like it's a it's a it's a big quote. It's, it's really a good big, quote. But it's, it's good. good. It's good. Oh, it's long. Okay. It's long. It's long. Okay. It's long. You can take all of that out if you want to. I no, found no, a no, big quote by Desiring God. <laughs> I found a <laughs> substantial I found quote. a large quote. <laughs> um, so this was by David Mathis. And he mm-hmm. said, um, all of Jesus's life, he was without sin. Hebrews 4.15. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 1 Peter 2.22. He stayed the course even when sweat came like drops of blood, Luke twenty two forty four, He could have called 12 legions of angels, Matthew 26, 53, but he had the wherewithal to not rebut the false charges, Matthew 27, 14, or defend himself, Luke 23, 9. When reviled, he did not revile in return, 1 Peter 2, 23. They spit in his face and struck him. Some slapped him, Matthew 26, 67. They scourged him. Matthew 27, 26. In every trial and temptation, he learned obedience through what he had suffered. Hebrews 5, 8. And at the pinnacle of his self-control, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Philippians 2, 8. And he is the one who strengthens us. 1 Timothy 1, 12. Philippians 4, 13. So in Jesus, we have a source for true self-control far beyond that of our feeble selves. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's a big one. <laughs> I know the the audience can't see it, but after Avery was reading that quote, she like looked up and just smiled. <laughs> it was like it was so cute. It was like I was I like felt, so proud that I found it. <laughs> I felt like I was your your mom at your poetry recital, and you walked up on stage and read this long poem, and then looked at me and like, smiled. "Like, what do you guys think?" <laughs> like. So like, this, this moment of like, well, there you go. <laughs> no, nothing left to say. It was so cute. I was, like, I was looking down while you were reading and then you stopped and I look up and you're just staring at us smiling. <laughs> but anyway. I was like, was it good? <laughs> Anna, you were going to say something. Sorry. Well, I was going to say that literally was the perfect quote because every example that I had talking about Christ exhibiting self-control was like hit on within that quote. Mm. I think the only thing that I, that was, but wasn't, was Isaiah 53, seven came to my mind when it was, it says he was oppressed. He was afflicted yet opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth referring to when Christ was arrested in the, um, Mm courtroom i don't know what you would call it 
temple court yeah where all those people are like accusing him and he's right. just not speaking to them right um so i thought about that and then um also the temptation of christ in matthew 4 mm. just how mm. like obviously christ has the power to do all those things that satan is trying to tempt him with but just the self-control in the uh, kind of referencing our past episode, the meekness, like the gentleness that Christ had to withhold power. And right. um, so, yeah, talk about self mastery, right? Like, yeah. I remember C.S. Lewis was um, somebody was talking to him or whatever, and they're like, How can Jesus relate with my temptation? Like, he never sinned. And C.S. Lewis's point was the person who has overcome temptation is the one who knows the the intensity of the temptation because people that give in to temptation give in because it's hard. They give in because it's too much to bear. So like Jesus Christ knows so much more how intense a temptation would feel than we ever will because we so easily give in. So it's like, I think he describes it as somebody walking against the wind and they end up lying down. You know, but it's it doesn't take much effort to lie down. But if you continually walk against the wind, you feel that intensity giving in and building up. So when you're talking about specifically, like Annie, what you were saying, like the temptation of Jesus, that self mastery to not give in or um, uh, to uh, what was it to to curb that fleshly impulse because he had, like, he was human, right and and mm-hmm. the enemy was trying to tempt him because he wanted him to sin and and he never did. And that's why he is our sympathetic high priest who is able to sympathize with everything that we go with or everything that we struggle with um, because he himself is the example of that self-mastery. And he himself through the Holy Spirit is what is empowering us to say no to those fleshly impulses that we have on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so it's clear, like you both were saying that Christ exhibits self-control. Um, he was in the world. He was not of the world. Was Jesus self-controlled though, when he overturned the temple tables, you know, cause some people point to that specific example and they say, well, you know, like, and they almost, they could probably use that to justify their own sporadic behavior. Like, well, Jesus turned over the temple tables, you know, like I can, I can right. angrily close this door if I want, you know, like. So was he still self-controlled? Um, and what is the difference between what he dis- what he illustrated and what we would illustrate today? Like, how is there a difference? So in short, yes, he was self-controlled. Because self-control doesn't mean that you just never have any emotion at all. Mm. Or um, I don't want to say fits of passion, but you don't ever exhibit passion. Um, so John 2.17 tells us that this deed was not motivated by, let's say, like personal gain or out of control emotion, but by zeal, which was also predicted in the Psalms to right. happen. And so John 2.17 says his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And zeal can be defined as focused desire characterized by passion and commitment. The Bible often, this is a, a quote by the way, and it says the Bible often describes God and his followers as zealous in the old Testament. Zeal is found 16 times zealous six in the new Testament. Zeal is found five times and zealous seven 
Typically, the Hebrew and Greek words for zeal or zealous also carry an idea of jealousy, specifically God's jealousy for his people and his honor. So when we're thinking about it in that context, that Jesus acted out in zeal or, let's say, jealousy, well, God, Christ, is the only person capable, like that is rightful jealousy. He is angry over what is occurring because it is a misuse of the temple. And um, that's a whole thing that I won't get into, but it was righteous what he was doing and rightful. It was not some out of control passion or personal gain that Jesus was trying to achieve. It was a rightful zeal for God and um, God's holiness, which was done perfectly by Christ. Yeah, and that's basically what I had written down too. I did find that there's two different translations from the Greek of anger in the Bible. One means passion or energy, and the other is like an agitated, boiling kind of anger. Um, So anger is God-given to help us solve problems when they come from a righteous place in our hearts. And so, you know, there is that isn't a biblical anger example would be Jesus in the temple. His anger was directed at the principal or or others, not self-defense. So anger can become a sin when it is for us motivated by pride. It's unproductive. It goes against God's purposes or when it lingers and turns to bitterness. Another obvious sign for us would be if we're attacking the wrongdoer instead of the problem that has arisen. That's really good. It reminds me of the last episode that we did, gentleness, when um, we were talking about like meekness does not mean weakness, right? And um, there was that one quote, and I'm trying to find it to see if I still have it, and I'm sure I do. But oh yeah, it was like gentleness describes the person who is in so much control of himself that he is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. And it just reminded me of, um, and that was a quote from Aristotle from his Nicomachean Ethics book. But um, it reminds me of like Jesus turning over the tables in the temple and how. Like, that was a time of righteous anger, you know, but he also, we didn't see him, like, having that type of, like, anger with, like, his disciples. Like, he was very gracious, you know, when he could have been, like, oh, my goodness, there are so many times that I I read and I'm like, God, how did you have so much patience for these people? But how you have so many, so much patience for me, right? Because if I was... If I was in his position, like, I'd be lashing out all the time because you're dealing with people who just don't trust. They are ye of little faith, you know. But I think that that was a really good um, summarization that you guys kind of alluded to. But as we close this series, I want to quickly draw our attention back to the summary of the passage. So this may be a little bit more of like a, all right, formal closing the series type deal. But I think this is important to say. Um, And I think it's important for us to go back and to kind of overview, um, specifically go back to chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 of Galatians, because we see this old flesh, and now having wrapped up the life with the Spirit, you know, wrapping up the fruits of the Spirit, it's very clear that these two lives, like we had mentioned, are both intensely and fundamentally opposed to each other. And I think for some of you listening, and this is why I wanted to make sure to say this, You may have been doing an internal inventory check with each episode and thought, man, I do not live up to these qualities. How can victory be achieved? How can we as believers hyper-conquer these sinful desires and walk triumphantly? And since we're closing the Fruits of the Spirit series, I think it's also important to know and to look at how Paul closes 
the section. And thankfully, he does so by answering those questions that we were just talking about. So immediately after concluding with self-control, he says in the next verse, quote, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, end quote. So he reminds his readers of this radical repentance. And you listening, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and all of us, we've had that radical repentance of going from the old life to the new life. By trusting in Jesus, you are turning your back on the works of the flesh forever. So remember, two opposing lifestyles here. Not only that, but he uses vivid imagery of crucifixion as a verb in the active voice when he says that those who belong to Christ Jesus, quote, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, end quote. Therefore, pointing to not only what has been done, but also what has to continue to be regarded as being done through repentance. So in summary, the believer has already repented of his formal way of life and has, in a sense, executed their sinful nature as we see in justification. However, and this is something that I think people listening may be a little confused, this does not mean that the battle is then done forever. Right, We do, in fact, toil through what is called sanctification or being made more holy in this lifetime. And James Montgomery Boyce comments on this exact crucifixion terminology as it refers to the old and the new flesh. He says, quote, As in an actual crucifixion, life lingers even though the criminal has been nailed to the cross. Nevertheless, the believer is to regard the decisive act as having been done, end quote, which I thought was super interesting, like comparing justification Mm -hmm. and sanctification with the crucifixion of like, you're nailed to the cross, but there's still that life there, you know? And, but something even more interesting, y'all hold on to your seats because I just learned about this today and I, it's been so intriguing to me. Romans 7 We're familiar with this passage. Paul the Apostle, literally one of the most profound believers, so talk about feeling inadequate. This man is talking about struggling with wrestling with his sinful flesh. And he says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And then moving on to verse 24, and this is where it gets really cool and I'm geeking out a little. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Okay, pause. I'm about to blow y'all's mind. This is actually so interesting. Paul refers to this sinful lifestyle as the body of death. That reference is packed with cultural meaning. You see, outside of Tarsus, where Paul grew up, there was an ancient tribe that had a way of dealing with its murderers. So if somebody had murdered someone, they would then tie the corpse of the murder victim to the murderer which allowed the spreading of the diseases to slowly infect and eventually execute the murderer. So it was like their punishment of the murderer. Oh my word. And they called this body the body of death. So Paul, yeah, literally, hello. (laughs) So Paul, having been born in Tarsus, would have been very familiar with his practice. And even so, Paul compares himself to having this body of death this dead body from the past life tied to his back in his present body. So he himself is alive, but he still carries this dead corpse with him that that continually wages war against him. And so again, there is this alive yet dead wrestling. And so we are justified by Jesus Christ's blood, and yet we still toil in this present life through sanctification until we are freed from that body of death in glorification, 
we're forever joined with Jesus Christ in heaven, which isn't that just mind blowing? Like I learned about that's that wild. and I was like, yeah. that phrase is never going to be the same for me, like this body of death. But it makes so much sense, especially in thinking about it in terms of justification. It's like, so anyway, take heart, Christian. If you're listening to this, if you feel inadequate, if every single episode makes you feel like you're failing as a believer, let me remind you that you have not trusted in yourself to atone for your sins right? There is a difference between justification and sanctification, and that's a difference that we should rejoice in. And Jesus's perfect blood has justified you. He has washed over all of your sins, allowing you to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, like Paul says in verse 25, and put to death the deeds of the flesh. So you aren't going to do it perfectly, right? I mean, Paul himself, I look to him as almost like perfect, right? Like he's so admirable, but he was not doing it perfectly. We're all imperfect. But praise the Lord, we serve a God who promises us freedom from our sinful nature and is with us through the Holy Spirit, empowering us to receive victory over such destructive desires as we carry that body of death with us. So I wanted to just make sure that we concluded with that. And also, I just, I found that thing out about the body of death and like the crucifixion analogy. And I'm like, this is just so cool. I need to share it with people. But yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, with that being said, I think we're, are we done? The fruits of the spirit? <laughs> like, I feel like, well, okay, hold on. We're not done. We still have the IG hot seat, right? So we spoke about parties in the beginning of this episode. And since we all have our figurative party hats on still, I decided to have our IG hot seat question be a little party themed. Okay. Cause this is a Ooh, celebration wow. episode. Um, and the question <laughs> is, drum roll if you could invite anyone famous to your birthday party and they have to be somebody currently like on the earth right now who would you invite and i think i know what annie's gonna <laughs> i think annie and i may have the same one but oh, we, I may know not. we may not i'm thinking of elon musk that's what i would do it <laughs> avery's like eye rolling to china <laughs> i am I just, I'm so convinced, and Annie is so convinced that he would be our friend. And what better way to get to know him at a birthday party? Just watch. We're going to say this, and literally right after this podcast airs, he's going to be, like, uncovered as, like, this murderer or something. And I'm going to be like, actually, you're not invited to my party anymore. But, um, but yeah, Elon Musk, if you're out there, if you're listening, um, come to my birthday party next year. <laughs> Okay, now I gotta think. So Avery, you go. No, Annie, you can pick Elon Musk. Just give your reasoning. No, no. He can only go to one of our parties. We can have a joint birthday party. We're both in August. Okay. Just give your reasoning for yeah. Give your reasoning for why you'd pick him. I mean, it's the exact same thing. I feel like we would just be really good friends. Like I feel like he has a tender heart and needs a group of friends to just open up to be there no matter what for yeah 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 i feel just like not really care about the famous aspect Mm -hmm. but just like love him for who he is (laughs) like he needs a group of friends (laughs) i'm gonna be careful as we say because people are gonna be like what the heck (laughs) he needs a group of friends to really confide in and i'm not saying that he should confide in like 25 26 year old girls but like (laughs) i'm just saying we'd be there to listen to him and that's true and i think our humor i I also think he'd be really funny like at a party yeah (laughs) and also if he wanted to give me a tesla like i'm not gonna argue or like a, a a round trip to mars like 
I mean, if you insist. (laughs) (laughs) We were walking around a mall yesterday and we passed a Tesla in the mall, like a Tesla, like store and jack was like should i go in there and tell them that alexa and annie want to meet yvonne <laughs> and i was like please do they would be like yeah assaulted <laughs> for my birthday this year my coworker wrote on my whiteboard happy birthday from elon musk and i was like how did you know i wanted this <laughs> like we all know <laughs> like how did you know this was the only thing i asked for for my birthday no i'm kidding <laughs> avery who would you invite you're going to make fun of me, probably. I can't think of anyone else. Is it Joanna I'm staring, Gaines? I'm staring at her cookbook. It is, it is Joanna. <laughs> I knew it. Because because she oh, would make the be best fun. food for oh, your party. And you're a foodie. And you could learn from her. And mm-hmm. I would love to just talk to her. And she loves rollerblading. And I think it would be fun to, like, rollerblade at my party. Maybe we can, because Avery, your birthday's in September and ours is in August. Maybe we could all combine and just have Joanna Gaines and Elon Musk at one That'd big be party. Amazing. That'd be a little weird. I don't know how the dynamic would work, but I'm all for people watching. Like, I think it'd be really intriguing. That, it yeah. would be. It would be so intriguing. But anyway, uh, this has been so much fun. We are out of time, but if you're listening, Thank you so much for coming along this journey with us through all of the fruits of the spirit. We look forward to seeing you um, during our next series, and we're super excited about that. We'll have that announced on our Instagram uh, momentarily, but we just appreciate you all. We appreciate this journey that you've been on with us. We've learned a lot. We are not the same. Like I said, um, we are not the same people that we were in the very beginning, and um, the Lord just changes you as you read his word, as you live your life, as you... um. Uh, just learn and become molded more into the image of his son. So I, I have appreciated this. I appreciate y'all. And um, thank you, Annie and Avery, for being lovely co-hosts as always. And we look forward to seeing you all here again next time on Imposing Grandeur Radio. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.